Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor, and my purpose for my life is to encourage people to live positively through the many and varied challenges that life throws at us. And my guest today is familiar with the Napoleon Hill Foundation, and the lucky dog is even promoted by the Napoleon Hill Foundation. Um, his name is Don Cote, and Don is the founder and dean of LifeWorks University, an online distance learning platform that helps people worldwide to be more, do more, and have more of whatever they want in life. Don started his real estate career in 1978 at the age of 18, and so those who can do their math can figure out how old Don is. And he has his own investment properties all across the country. He became the vice president of a nationwide uh, bank in 2006, opened 56 branches in 42 states, and he has personally hired and trained over 200 mortgage officers. And after retiring from banking in 2007, I think this is so cool, he spoke internationally for seven years and was the first speaker for Trump University. And he is a two-time published author and is currently completing his PhD. And I remember him telling me at one point, at best, on his best day, he was a C student. So that is quite an accomplishment, completing a PhD. Welcome to the show today, Don. Thanks so much, Tom. What a great introduction. I appreciate that. It's uh, great to have you on the show. I think I saw you promoted on the through the Napoleon Hill e-zine that comes out every week. And uh, if people are looking, and I'm not always good at this, so I'm going to do it early in the show, but people can find you at lifeworksuniversity.com, lifeworksuniversity.com. And if anybody needs help spelling any of those three words, then you need something more than what Don and I can help you with. <laughs> LifeWorksUniversity.com. So, Donna, I'm fascinated by real estate. I did real estate investing when I was in my 20s. Uh, I was able to buy a good number of properties for myself and people who asked for help. Uh, I wasn't able to manage them well, so that was my challenge and what made me get out of it, but what got you uh, into real estate at such a a young age? Well, interestingly enough, I I come from a a very poor, uneducated family. Uh, My dad ran away from the orphanage at 14, lived on the street. Mom got taken out of um, school at 14 years old to work on the farm. And so growing up, I got a little feedback there. Um, uh, I, I didn't really understand the value of um, education. And so I don't think I was dumb. I just didn't um, apply myself. I was mostly trying to escape from school. So my dad said, gee, you're not the sharpest tool in the shed. 
And uh, you really need to pay attention because I'm going to show you how to feed your family. So my dad bought his first house at 22 years old, which was uh, quite an accomplishment being that he didn't have any education, wasn't making a lot of money or anything. And uh, he fixed it up and sold it and moved us into another house in a little better neighborhood, but still a fixer upper. And about seven years old, I started handing him tools. And uh, by the time I was in high school, he was um, totally disabled at the age of 39, died when he was 52. But uh, he had bought his fifth home. My mom still lives there. He paid 14000 for it. Today, it's worth about six fifty, And uh, it was a two-bedroom, one-bathroom. And um, we turned it into, well, his ideas, my, my labor. We turned it into a five-bedroom, uh, three-bathroom, jacuzzi in mom's bedroom, full in-law apartment, two-car garage. And his dream was to live on a lake. It is on a lake. And so um, I learned how to use my hands. And um, I got my real estate license when I was 18 years old. And couldn't make any money selling real estate. So I thought, well, if I'm going to be in real estate, I better be buying it instead. And throughout the 80s, I just kept buying properties, no money down. It was an easy decision. I didn't have any money until the late 80s when everything crashed. But that's kind of how I got into it. Dad just said, if you're going to feed your family, you really need to be in real estate. Wow. What an amazing story. And, uh, you know, amazing that at such a young age, this property and uh, you know, leave your mom something other than life insurance to uh, leave your mom a house that she still lives in today and pretty good appreciation, fourteen thousand to six hundred and fifty thousand. Right. Uh, not not a bad decision. Not a bad decision at all. Uh, mm-hmm. what 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 handicapped or what got your dad so disabled at such a young age? Yeah, he had uh um what they called at the time a brittle form of diabetes. We know it was just a really severe case and it really took each of his um uh, each of his faculties, one by one, his eyesight, his kidneys, his liver, just took everything from him. So it was a slow, torturous um, road for him the last 15 years. Uh, Mom was a saint. She took care of him to the last breath. So. Wow. Very fortunate. And- I had loving parents. They didn't have much money, but they were very loving and gave me everything I needed to uh, to turn out okay. Not only loving to you, but also loving to each other. Uh, in this day and age, or many days and ages, uh, you know, if a spouse becomes totally handicapped and practically an invalid, uh, that's a time when a lot of spouses just take off and leave. Mm-hmm. And boy, that uh, when you say death do us part, your mom really meant it. It's one thing to say it at an altar; it's another thing to live it when you're having to feed and dress and and help someone and. And so, wow, kudos to your mom, an amazing lady, not just as a mother, but uh, that would be a wife that any man would uh, want to have. And so, yes. wow. You she's not perfect. Yeah, she's not perfect, but she is a saint. Exactly. My mom isn't either. I'm often thinking of things in my head that she could do better. But uh, if I ever needed anyone for help, assistance, or guidance, uh, she's at the very, very top of my list. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, none of us have perfect parents. And sometimes we know of all the things they could do to be better. But uh, when you have ones that modeled being a good mother and modeled being a good uh, wife, you can learn a lot just from those two things. And so amazing. Now, um, so real estate investing into banking, like, ooh, like how did you... How did that happen? You would think real estate investing would be uh, 
not fun, I would say profitable and it's like your own business. And so what made you change from real estate investing to banking? Did you have to go to school for it? Did somebody recruit you into it? How did you make such a change from something that you knew from a young age, age of seven, to into banking that I don't think you went to school for it and I don't think you worked in it before. So how did you make that change and why? That's a crazy, there's a lot of crazy stories in my life. That's a really, really crazy one. I met a woman on a plane <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and ended up in a relationship. I was uh, living in Nashville at the time and um, we met and uh, I moved uh, up to uh, just north of Baltimore with her. The relationship didn't last that long, but uh, by then I was already investing in uh, in the Baltimore market, and I had uh, at one point two full crews rehabbing houses. I uh, I learned that it wasn't a smart move for me to actually do any work on the property. I could make a lot more per hour by cutting deals rather than um, uh, cutting grass. And so I <laughs> so I. Um, uh, we parted ways, uh, which was fine, but um, I was had already kind of settled into that area, and I was at the gym, and the fellow who was running the gym I became friends with, and uh, he introduced me to a fellow in the gym, and uh, the guy asked me what I did. I said, well, I'm a full-time real estate investor. He said, well, I'm in the mortgage business. Um, here's my business card. Just call my assistant, and uh, she'll make a time for you to come in. We can chat. I believe in serendipity. I believe things like that don't happen uh, randomly. There's some reason. And so I, uh, while I was walking out of the building to the parking lot to my car, I called his office, made an appointment that afternoon. And uh, when I got there, got in the elevator, his, uh, his big glass bank building, got to the top floor, came out, said I was looking for Mr. Lyons. And she went, oh, oh, I'll, I'll tell his secretary right away. And she came out and walked me down to the corner office, which was as big as a football field. And uh, three hours later, he was offering me a job to run one of the divisions of his bank. And um, he had asked me a lot about my background. And I said, gee, that's really flattering, Ben. But I think you missed the part about I have no banking experience. And he said, I really don't need a banker. I'll train you to be a banker. I need someone who networks like you do and builds teams. I know you have two full teams, uh, rehab and property and in the city, I know that um, when I see you, and I've been watching you for the last couple of months at the uh, chamber events, that you're a great networker, and I need you to build a team of branch managers for me across the country. And so subsequently, I turned it out twice, but he, as the Italians sometimes say, he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And so mm -hmm. I, I ended up going to work for him, and and uh, in 2005, in 2006, I, uh, I opened 56 branches, as you mentioned in the opening. And uh, had the privilege of uh, meeting some really amazing people in the mortgage business. And then uh, at the end of 2006, I sort of saw the crash coming. I, um, when you're high up on the mountain, you've got a longer view. I could see that as an industry, we were writing mortgages for people that really had no business getting $400,000, $4 million mortgages when they were, um, you know, maids and mechanics. Um, so I knew that I knew that there was going to be a problem and I didn't want to be a part of that and I stepped away and retired. I got a condo on the beach in, in uh, Galveston, Texas. Love the ocean. And then um, two weeks later, I got a phone call and uh, I was on the road speaking on the national circuit and then internationally for Trump University. Holy cow, Trump University, that would be amazing. Now in your answer there, there's 
there's a big clue for employers and even a big clue for people looking for a job. That guy said, I don't need a banker. I can train you to be a banker. But there were skills you had developed and practiced and got better at. That was what he needed. The experience in banking was not what he needed. He needed the skills that you had proven and developed and refined and de demonstrated. And so similar for people maybe looking for a job, you may go out on a limb and apply for something you don't have the experience at. But uh, if you have a positive mental attitude and you are able to talk to people and you have a pleasing personality, some employers may just be looking for that and they can hire you and train you to do what they need you to do. And so at, what was it like going into an office the size of a football field? That must have been a little intimidating. <laughs> yeah, it was. But he was, uh, you know, I, I am, um, uh, you and I have a kinship. Tom, I, I've got a couple of inches on you, but not very, not very many. And uh, Ben uh, was somewhere; his his height was somewhere between you and me. And so, um, as a uh, as a uh, a personality like yourself, just a giant personality. But from from a from a physical stature, it was it's uh, you know it was it wasn't intimidating at all to to meet him. He was very friendly, and I had already met him in the gym. Walking into his office, I realized that the guy that I was just about to uh, sit down and have a conversation with was just a powerhouse of a businessman. He had started that as a bank, not a mortgage company. It was a, a truly a bank. They had their own money. And um, he lived in, he, was, he wasn't yet 40 years old. He lived in a house that had, um, let's see, 24 rooms, uh, four children. And uh, I'm not sure why you need 24 rooms with four children, but you need a lot. And then he had a 10 car garage to, to store his, all his exotic cars. So it was quite an experience, not just learning about the banking business, but really getting inside of a mind like you and I try to do, you know, what our, our lives are dedicated to is really understanding what is it that causes some people against all odds to, to really succeed in an extraordinary way. And this guy had had all the challenges that any of us would have, but he just didn't give up persistence number eight right just didn't give up just kept going determination and um and was wildly successful so it was a quite an honor and a privilege to work with him amazing amazing and uh, i'll have to explain to the audience that too tall doesn't mean i'm like ed too tall jones of the dallas cowboys it means <laughs> i'm five foot one now when i was single i used to tell people i was five foot two i added an extra inch but now that I'm married, I don't have to impress women. I'm five foot one. Now my wife is four foot eleven, so I power over my wife. She's such a shorty at four foot eleven, and so yeah, like it's uh, as you said, this guy was between your height and my height, so he didn't get there because of his amazing tallness or physique or body he got there because of his attitude and his work ethic and his determination and persistence and all the success principles that napoleon hill writes about now i love to ask people about napoleon hill being a certified instructor and i love to find out how people came across think and grow rich or law of success and was there someone crucial in your life that said Don, you need to read this book. How old were you when you first came across it? And who recommended it to you? And 
Uh, did you get it the first time around, or did you have to reread it at some point later on in life? Great questions. Uh, one of the clues when I met Ben was that he had it on his bookshelf. Yes, I was a fan by then. <laughs> I, um, I joined um, Amway in 1979, so 19 years old. I joined Amway, and I'm grateful for the experience. Didn't make a nickel in it, but I'm so grateful because I was exposed to a world I didn't even know existed at the time, which is the world of self-help, personal development, personal growth, self-improvement, whatever you want to call it. And um, I got I got on immediately got on something called Book of the Month, Tape of the Week Club. We didn't even have CDs back then; it was so long ago. But uh, the first book that uh, my my um, direct distributor gave me was Think and Grow Rich, and he said, "This is it. This is the this is the book. If you never read another book, this is the one you really should uh, you should understand." And uh, young and immature, I read it, of course, because he told me to. Uh, and then I put it down and apparently a little bit of it sank in because I used, uh, as I look back, I used some of those principles in my, um, in my real estate investing career in throughout the eighties. Uh, but it wasn't until the crash of 89, 90, 91, uh, when I lost everything. So I had developed a pretty substantial real estate portfolio up in new England at that time. And then we had a real estate crash, much like we've had, uh, 2008, nine, 10, 11, and, uh, and I lost everything. I learned how to make money, but I just didn't learn how to keep it. So I lost all my property, filed bankruptcy, went through a painful divorce and ended up homeless, albeit I was living in my BMW, but it was in the middle of the winter and in the middle of the night, uh, it gets pretty cold even in your BMW. So uh, after a little while, I, I had a moment of clarity and I went back to a friend who was a mentor early on, a little bit older than, quite a bit older than I am, uh, and, uh, and said to him, uh, Sammy, I'm embarrassed to say that I just don't know how to get back on my feet. Can you give me some uh, direction? And I kind of had an expectation that he put his arm around me like he did the first time and say, come on, kid, let me show you how to get back in the game. And unfortunately, my father used to say unfulfilled expectations create disappointment. I was terribly disappointed when he recommended to read a book. Really? Well, that book was Think and Grow Rich. He said, have you ever read that book? And I said, sure. He said, how many times? I said, once. How many times you got to read a book? And so now I'm broke and a smart aleck, which he didn't find amusing at all. And uh, he just stared at me across the table. We were having a cup of coffee and he said, well, I think you missed it. I think you should read it again. And if you don't get it this time, I keep reading it until you do. Thanks for the coffee. I've got to go. That was in 1996. I've never seen him again, but I'd love to thank him for that. And I try to like this as many times as I can, but I reread it over and over and over. And Tom, I became convinced of two things this time. The principles were sound and I had no clue on how to apply them. And so that was a bit frustrating, like standing outside the, the candy store, looking inside, knowing that all was possible, but I couldn't get to it. Wow. And there is a clue there. Uh, Dave Linager, the co-founder, he and his wife founded Remax Real Estate. I'm sure a lot mm -hmm. of people know Remax Real Estate. When I shared this stage with him in California at the Think and Grow Rich Summit, he spoke about how he's read it over 35 times. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, geez, I don't think I've read it that often. So I'm going to read it every year, at least once a year, or listen to it now on CD, uh, or even on my smartphone. We're older now, Don, so we don't have to mm -hmm. find a cassette player and plug it in. <laughs> we can pretty well listen to it on our computer, on our smartphone. iPod. 
Oh, iPods, uh, anywhere we are, we can pretty well listen or read Think and Grow Rich. And so there is a clue out there, people. If you've only read it once, uh, pick it up again. You're going to, and it's funny, it's kind of like the Bible. Every time I read the Bible, it's like, wow, that verse wasn't in there last year. When did they insert that? Right. (laughs) How did they get it into my Bible without me having to buy a new one? (laughs) <laughs> and Think and Grow Rich is like that. You, uh, Depending on when you read it and what's happening in your life, you'll be like, wow, this really resonates with me. How come I didn't catch it the last time? And so if you read it every year or read it numerous times, uh, then it begins to really sink in and really be a part of your thinking and your actions and your words and that's when you got it but when you have it it doesn't mean you always have it it means you got to keep going back and revising it and reviewing it and seeing what uh, new things are in there every time you read it that weren't there before or so you thought and i love that you shared about uh, living in your bmw yeah that's not a perfect house it's a nice car but it doesn't make a great house but if you didn't share that, people would think, wow, that Don, he's never had any challenges. And he seems like he started out at seven with a great example and just went to the top from there and stayed at the top. Um, that is not how it works for most business people. They struggle along the way to the top. And then sometimes they get knocked down to the bottom and have to rebuild their way to the top. But when you have these success principles, they go with you everywhere and you can use them at the top or the bottom to get back to the top, stay at the top. And so very, very good. Uh, and I know you've read it a number of times, quite a few. And there over is 40. A, over 40. Oh, man, i got to catch up to you. I'm a Napoleon <laughs> Hill instructor. I haven't read it as much as you. So I really want to... Uh, Make it a practice to read it every year, every year, maybe even more than once a year. Now, uh, it doesn't sound like. Can I offer a suggestion to the to the listeners? If if you uh, get anything out of what Tom and I are saying, just keep a copy on your desk at all times, and you'll get sick and tired of seeing it there without reading it, and you'll pick it up and you'll read it. Hopefully, that's how I do it. It's always on my desk, Tom. Ooh. Hey, amazing. I actually have a signed copy of it by Napoleon Hill. I know, I'm jealous. I, I don't read that copy. I just put it in a plastic bag and I stare at it in front of my desk every day. But I do uh, read it, refer to it, look up quotes from it very, very regularly. Now, Don, you got into public speaking, but uh, you weren't trained or groomed for it. And if you look at the list of the top fears of people... Public speaking comes before drowning or I think even being burned. Or mm. the, next, the next two after public speaking are pretty drastic. So I'm wondering, like, wow, people would rather drown than speak in front of a crowd. But how, how did you get into it? And was the first few times that you got into public speaking, your first few talks, were there a lot of ums and ahs in there? And how did you get better at it? How did you get into it, and how did you practice and and learn how to do it well? Uh, All really great questions. I actually became a student before I became a teacher, and I still consider myself a student before a teacher. I went to a class um, right after I had gotten off the street. 
a friend of mine invited me to go to a class and I didn't have the money so she paid for it we sat in the very front row and we, uh, as we were sitting there she's my, she was my best friend and Phil is one of my dearest friends in the world she leaned over and she said you can do this it was a particular real estate investing technique that she was talking about and I said, I know, and what, uh, I'm sorry, I, I leaned, uh, she leaned over and said, you can do this. And I was thinking she meant the particular technique that he was teaching about. She meant being the teacher, <laughs> being up on the stage. And we talked about it over coffee after, and she said, you could do that. You were as good as he is. I said, he's the best in the country. I, I can't even imagine, you know, what you could be talking about. And um, she had the vision for me to be a national speaker long before it ever occurred to me. And uh, being the great friend that she was, she just carried that torch until I was a national public speaker. So she kept keeping the dream alive for me. And little by little, I became an expert at that particular real estate strategy, uh, real estate investing strategy. I was the number one student for the school for that. Uh, so I signed up for his class. She actually put it on her credit card because I didn't have it. That's what good friends do if they can. And um, I told her if she spent the money for this, I would keep doing real estate deals and cutting her in until she said stop, not until I paid her back, until she said stop. And, and I did that for several years. And um, she said stop a long time before I actually did, just out of gratitude. But um, because I was the number one student for the school uh, and, and as, uh, my mentor invited me to come in. Um, observe one of her boot camps, which people paid $5,000 to do. There were a hundred people there. And she said that she wanted me to see what she did. And if I was interested, then she, I could take over for her and be the speaker. And she did those boot camps four times a year. And uh, her husband was the speaker that I listened to a couple of years before. And uh, she came down, this is a three day workshop. The second morning she came down, she was really upset. And I said, what's the matter, Amy? What, what's going on? She said, well, Sean wants you to speak for the company that he was speaking for when, when you met him. And that would mean that you would speak about four to five times a year instead of four times a year. And I don't want to let you go, but I have to because he's right. And so I was hired based on her um, word that I was that I that I knew my stuff and I was a good speaker. And, and not all speakers do what they teach. And, and I, I hate to say that, but it's true. A lot of them learn stuff to say. I was one of the one of the kinds of speakers where I would talk for two days, eight, nine to five, and just tell stories about my own experiences. And, um, and I didn't have any script. I just kept showing pictures of houses that I rehabbed, how I negotiated the deals. And, um, and, and that's, it's easy to not do the ums and the ahs when you're just telling about your life. Right. No ums and ahs when it's your own story. You know your story. And uh, pretty funny or interesting thinking of a husband and wife arguing about Don Cote. No, I don't want him to. Yes, I know he can do it. No, he does I don't want to give him up. And it's like, oh, my gosh, you could see them. And you saw the agitation on her afterwards. Like, oh, all right, you're right. I'll let you have him. And pretty uh, funny to think of that and, and how it came about. And then also I think of um, the fact that successful people go out of their way to help people. Some of the people they don't even know, uh, and they just will spend time with them. They'll help them. They'll invest some of their money in them. They'll encourage them. They'll teach them. 
And that is a, a great lesson. I uh, had a friend one time, I suggested he contact, you know, someone well-known, a speaker, and he was, he was just going like shaking, just thinking of the idea of contacting them. And I just couldn't get it across to him that, listen, successful people are looking for ways to pay it back and to help others mm-hmm. and to bring other people up. doesn't guarantee they're going to say yes, but if you don't ask, for sure, they can't say yes. And mm-hmm. uh, this woman sounds like uh, like a godsend or like someone who really, if it weren't for her, some of the success you've achieved might not have ever come about. So true. And we're still friends today. It's been a long time. Amazing, amazing. Wow. Exciting story. It's <laughs> interesting. A exciting story. It's in- Thank you. It's, it's interesting that you say about successful people that uh, want to give back. Um, uh, the idea for LifeWorks um, came to me while I was homeless. And um, what, as it turned out, a number of years later, my first book was titled LifeWorks, How I Lost Everything and Found My Life's Purpose. And my life's purpose is to do just that, just keep paying it forward, reaching back and helping others. Amen. Let's remind people, University. Dot com lifeworksuniversity.com I'm on the website now very cool website with your book staring at me in the face here and you can buy that book on Amazon uh, Lifeworks How I Lost Everything and Found My Life's Purpose and uh, both of us know Don that the number one success principle of Napoleon Hill is definiteness of purpose if you don't know your purpose you can use all the other 16 success principles but Basically, you'll still just be shooting uh, darts in the dark, hoping Mm -hmm. to hit your purpose. And so if you can find your purpose, not if you can, you can find it. It may take many years. It may take a lot of thinking. It may take help from other people. But find your purpose, and then you could work 60 hours a week once you know your purpose, and it just won't seem like 60 hours a week. It'll seem like a part-time job instead of a full-time living and so that's so important. Once you know your purpose, uh, pretty well a lot of the roadblocks are knocked out of the way by knowing your purpose. And so that is a big clue there. So now you're going back to school to get a PhD. And I know on a recent mastermind call, you mentioned that uh, you were part of the class that made the top class part of the class look good right and <laughs> you weren't nobody none of your teachers would have said don i think you're gonna be a phd unless they meant piled high and deep right uh, and so why you had enough success you've done amazing things you could have not even bothered to get your phd what are you studying what made you decide to go to school to get a PhD at this stage in your life? Well, I, I, I guess I would have to say uh, I couldn't help it. Um, what I mean by that is that my life has really been about figuring out uh, how to help people to realize their purpose. That's my number one goal when I'm working with someone either in a group or in a, in a private coaching session. Because once that, I mean, if you think about it, you, uh, there's 24 hours a day, you sleep about eight, if you're lucky, that leaves 16. Half of that, most people create for uh, to take care of their lifestyle. 
And if that's not their purpose, if they're doing something that isn't their purpose, then they're going to be so unhappy and it's going to feel like you're swimming upstream all the time. The opposite is true if you find your purpose and you can uh, figure out a way to make your purpose pay for all of your lifestyle. And so that's what we work on first. But uh, my purpose uh, came to me when I was in the backseat of my car in the middle of the night having conversations with myself that I never would add had I not lost everything. And um, I realized at that point that um, my purpose was to help people figure that out. I can't what, what was it that caused people like me to get knocked down and keep getting up? Because, uh, you know, 100 people get knocked down, one of them gets up. If he gets knocked down 100 times, he keeps getting up. What is that? I call that resilience. And so I wanted to really do a deep dive into that subject. And I found an online university that um, uses the Oxford method, which is different than the US style of schools. We don't take any tests. We research subjects, we write papers, we write books, and we get credit for our writing because it proves what we've learned, not just that we memorized something. And um, the, the school told me that if I were to write, um, if I were to do this, my thesis, they would recommend that it was a book and they had a special course that I could take to teach me how to get a book published, this book published traditionally. And so I thought that was a fascinating thing. I had a lot of life's experience. I had a, a, uh, a lot of uh, credit uh, for understanding, um, you know, that my subject matter. And I just put it into, um, into chapters in a book. And my first book, I got 20 credits for towards my 60 credits to get my PhD. My second book uh, is um, just came out and I'm I'm more proud of that one than my first one because I didn't write it. I wrote the uh, the introduction and I wrote I wrote the preface and the afterward. And um, I have 11 students from around the world that uh, used my system for a year and kept a journal every day. And then they each wrote a chapter about their information. And so that book is also uh, going to give me credit towards my PhD, my capstone book, which is the one that's going to be published in hardcover and and marketed uh, traditionally um, should be out by the end of the year. And uh, we've got a working title for it, which is um, Life Works When You Have Resilience. And um, uh, we hope it's gonna be a bestseller. So um, I'm very excited to, to, to share with you that there is a possibility if you have some life experience uh, to be able to get a higher education, not because you're gonna get paid more, but just because you can. Wow, wow. And it's like I think the first interview in a long time that in my introduction I didn't mention that I'm a resiliency expert. Now I gave myself the title. Uh, because, <laughs> oh, if you're going to be a speaker, you should be an expert at someone something. And I was like, resilience, I've had to go through a lot. I've had four mm -hmm. hips replaced and four knees and two shoulders and been in hospital 40 mm -hmm. times. And those circumstances can lead to uh, did lead to some periods of depression. I had to leave a few jobs. I would get turned down for jobs. And so resiliency, if you have that, as you said, what is it? Life works if you have resiliency. Mm -hmm. uh, if you fold up your tent, when challenges come along, you're not going to go too far. And so that it's a, a big thing, developing resiliency. And if you you can teach people that, Don. Um, that's probably one. If you can help people find their purpose and become resilient, uh, they can do almost 
sorry, they can do everything once they know their purpose and they're resilient. And so that's uh, pretty amazing. And uh, I was going to say earlier about the public speaking field, my family thinks it's weird that people pay me to speak. They're like, we've been listening to you for free all these years <laughs> and you haven't impressed us yet. <laughs> now, uh, starting a university, most people don't wouldn't even know how to a lot of people wouldn't even know how to even get into a university, let alone how to start a university. Uh, how did you ever think of that, and how did you figure it out once you thought of it? How did you stop your brain from saying, are you crazy? You've done enough already. Why would you want to start a university? And you don't even know how to start a university. So explain that to people, because that is a pretty cool accomplishment. Yeah, it's actually um uh what's the term um um I'm trying to think of the term when when it doesn't uh, when it seems like it's just the opposite. There's a term. I'll think of it in a minute anyway. Um counterintuitive. Counter counterintuitive. Right. So I didn't actually think of starting a university. What happened was I had a, a coaching client come into my office one time. She's a millennial, young 20 something. Uh, B-lister um, uh, actress out of Hollywood. I, I'm in Las Vegas, and she was here helping some family with some things. And uh, she came into my office for the first time. She said, thinking of rich on my desk. And uh, this was now almost two years ago. And she said, oh, you're a Napoleon Hill fan? So am I. And um, she said, have you read the book he wrote after Thinking Grow Rich? And my pompous self <laughs> said... Oh no! Um, if he had written a, another book, I would know about it. And right. uh, I was I was wrong. <laughs> and so right after that meeting, I um, I'd written down the name that she told me, outwitting the devil. And I ran out to Barnes and Noble and I bought the book and I took the next four days and just read it. And then a friend of mine immediately after, a mutual friend of ours, Tony Rubaleski, um, gave me uh, as a thank you gift for something I did for him. Uh, gave me. Uh, copy of it on CD and um, I popped it into the car and I was driving across town and the very first CD on there uh, there's a point at which Napoleon says so here I am getting ready I'm paraphrasing I'm sure I'm getting ready to release to the world for the first time ever the first philosophy of personal achievement and I'm a I'm a failure and uh, he said I realized at that moment that every one of the 500 men that I interviewed told me that they attributed their success to the mastermind principle and i realized i'm a lone wolf i had to pull the car over tom i just kept playing it over and over again i thought oh my gosh um i've only told you about one crash and burn there's been several i lost three quarters of a million dollars a couple of years ago uh, my dad my dad would have said well son you had it to lose you know it wasn't yours in the first place came into right. this world with nothing and you're going out the same way Right. And so um, I had a lot of ups and downs, just like Napoleon talks about in the backstory there in the beginning part of Outwitting the Devil. And I thought, that's the problem. I don't have a mastermind group. Within three days, I called the 12 smartest people I know here in Las Vegas and invited them to sit down around my boardroom table and discuss with me how I could take LifeWorks to the world. I'd never commercialized it before. And eight of them showed up. I had uh, a colonel uh, in the Air Force, 11,000 people under his command. I had um, a person who's over 40,000 people off the street here uh, in the last few years. 
uh, homeless people. I had a person at the table that um, was one of the founders of Kinko's and helped merge them with FedEx. Eight people like this. One of them was this young lady who um, told me about outwitting the devil. I thought, well, I've, I've got to invite her. It's a token. I don't think she can bring anything to the table. But um, uh, sure enough, she introduced me to a billionaire and um, who we both know, Bertie Dorman. And I've been working under his tutelage ever since. And uh, as we uh, turned this mastermind group into a board of advisors and then into a board of directors, um, I now have the, the privilege and honor of saying that this team, not me, this team using the mastermind principle through uh, accessing infinite intelligence has created the concept of having an online university that's different than every other one that we know of in the world. Most universities teach people how to make a living. We teach people how to make a life. Wow. And even the universities that teach you how to make a living aren't really teaching everyone how to make a living. Not everybody so makes a living who goes to university. But if you can make a life and make a living, now you're somewhere. Now you're somewhere. Wow, very, very cool. And uh, as you said, more than one down point in your life, like Napoleon Hill. Uh, if you don't read Napoleon Hill's biography, you think that his life was easy, but he had numerous ups and downs. And that book, Outwitting the Devil, I felt creepy reading it because I felt like this is actually what the devil would say. And I've had numerous people tell me that they feel over time that Outwitting the Devil will impact more people than Think and Grow Rich. Yeah, and, and for me, it's it's um, the combination of the two. I try to, whenever I share uh, about thinking grow rich, I always include outwitting the devil now because I think they're they should be a box set. They go together so well. They, they certainly do, and and if you look at the history behind outwitting the devil, I think it was like eighty years from the time it was written to the time it was published, because various people include first Hill's wife, and then the executive director of the foundation, and then the wife of the second director of the foundation all vetoed publishing the book. You can't mm -hmm. publish a book like that, uh, probably mostly for religious reasons. But it took a long time from when Hill actually wrote the book after writing Think and Grow Rich, which has you know, impacted so many people. That's when he had one of the biggest challenges in his life, which was having his life threatened. They told him, get out of town or we're killing you tomorrow or in the next few days. And... Uh, he believed them, and he rightfully so, because one of I think one of his partners or publishers, forget who, got killed, and so that convinced him that uh, they were serious, and that led to him going into hiding and becoming depressed and not pursuing his purpose, and for a while, and that's when he wrote the book, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the editor of the the local newspaper. Right, and who was going to help him publish or help them publish or was going to be a partner with him in some way. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's an amazing book. If you if people have read Think and Grow Rich but not Outwitting the Devil, they really haven't completed their Napoleon Hill library uh, or learning. Uh, and you need to pick that book up, Outwitting the Devil. That was uh, annotated, I think they call it. I'd actually have to look up the definition of that, but... 
Uh, we won't, it wasn't called edited by Sharon Lecter, the co-author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and Three Feet from Gold, and a very, very, very close friend of the Napoleon Hill Foundation, and Don Green. She's the one who annotated it and, and kind of used Napoleon Hill's story, brought it into like maybe more familiar language and maybe more familiar stories. Uh, but she really brought that book to life. And boy, as I said, I felt creepy because I felt this is what the devil would actually say. And really what the, just the very, uh, I was going to say Cole's notes, but you Americans have something else it's called. But uh, short form is that most people are drifting in life. They're just drifters. And the mm -hmm. more that Satan can keep them drifting, the less he really has to care about them or pay attention to them because drifting is not going to lead them to anything of value in the world or to themselves, right? Yeah, I actually had a conversation with Sharon Lecter when she autographed a couple of copies for me at uh, Greg Reed's second book launch of Stickability and uh, had a really nice conversation with her. Um, she did edit it. Uh, there was one copy that was typewritten by him on a typewriter. And uh, when Don Green gave it to her and asked her to um, go through it and edit it, they also realized that she needed to annotate it, which was converting some of the language that wasn't that's not used anymore. Uh, even though it's the English language, it's kind of outdated, like old English. And then the other thing was he had made references, financial references, dollar amounts that that it would be difficult for us to uh, extrapolate into today's dollars. So she did that as well. So she did that. She, in my opinion, she did a fantastic job. She's a great writer and. And um, uh, the, the book was uh, well served by her helping out with it. And I don't know, maybe you have too, but I have actually held that book in my hand. That original type mm. manuscript from Napoleon Hill's typewriter. I have held it in my hand at the Tony Robleski's Think and Grow Rich Summit. Don Green was there yep. with a copy of that book with a red cover. And oh my goodness, that is a pretty cool feeling holding a book that came off of Napoleon Hill's typewriter. Quite amazing. And I'll give a shout out to Sarah Gabriella because I know you know her. She was she was there at that event. She actually is a spoken word poet, and uh, she did a, a poem about that she was inspired by uh, Napoleon Hill and outwitting the devil at that at that very first event there. And uh, she was my coaching client at the time who told me about outwitting the devil. Wow, I did meet her. Amazing lady. Yep. She is, yeah. A spoken word poet. Yeah, I remember meeting her. Wow, very cool. We do have some great common friends. Tony Robleski, Brad Zalas, and a number of other great people that we both commonly know. And uh, in the end, almost any speaker worth his salt traces something back to Napoleon Hill and his book, Think and Grow Rich. It was either the start or a key point in their life. Uh, reading Think and Grow Rich and, and then Outwitting the Devil and Law of Success. Uh, and so people, uh, uh, lifeworksuniversity.com and hook up with Don, but, uh, you know, start your education by picking up Napoleon Hill's books, Think and Grow Rich, Law of Success and Outwitting the Devil. And that is half of your university course. And to get the PhD part, you got to work with Don to apply it and learn it and find your purpose and and do what you can with the skills, talents, and abilities that you've been given to pursue that purpose. So 
read the book and then contact Don, lifeworksuniversity.com. And then on Amazon, it's one word, isn't it, your book, Life Works? It's not Correct. Yeah, it's a series now. There are a couple of them on there, yeah. A series? You better be oh, well. sending me. You better be sending me a copy of each with a autograph in them. Yeah, an autographed copy of my book and five bucks will get your coffee anywhere. <laughs> but the content of the of the book will get me further. It sure will. <laughs> amazing, amazing! What an interesting life story, and what a benefit in the end when you look at it um, to have the father that you had. Like not a lot of kids learn at seven years old at the feet of their father by working with him as he's building his own uh, purpose, empire, business, uh, whatever you would call it back then. And, and he didn't have an education in this. He wasn't a, you know, a PhD, but he was a hard worker who would dare to do what he knew was possible to do. And when you start out like that, believing and seeing it at practice that being an entrepreneur leads to wealth, uh, Nowhere in your life do you ever come across something that's like, well, I can't sell that or I can't be an entrepreneur because you had it modeled from, from such a young age. I'll tell you what the one thing my dad did give me probably more than anything. He gave me a lot of skills and I have a lot of what I call nuggets of wisdom. But what he exemplified was self-confidence. I don't know where it came from because I never while he was alive, had the wherewithal to think to ask him the question. But I remember growing up uh, when I was handing him tools and he'd start doing a plumbing project or electrical work or re-roofing the house or whatever. I'd say, Dad, how did you learn how to do that? And, uh, and he would say, I didn't. We're figuring it out right now, son. So he had the confidence <laughs> to just try everything. Uh, he came home on a Friday night. He was a little late from work one day, and he had a 1964 Lesabre, Buick Lesabre. Loved that car. Four-door hardtop, blue and white, two-tone. Just a beautiful car, but the engine had some problems. He stopped at the auto supply store, picked up all the uh, the items to rebuild the engine, and we only had one car in the family, and uh, he pulled it halfway into the garage, put a blanket in front of it, jacked up the car, took all the pieces out, the, the oil pan, the pistons, the rings, laid it all out, replaced them all with brand new parts, put them all back together and drove it back to work on Monday morning. And I, I handed him tools, but I did. How did you learn how to do that, Dad? I didn't. We're figuring it out right now, son. Wow. <laughs> I have a, it would take me five minutes to find a dipstick in my car, <laughs> uh, let alone to take an engine apart. And mm -hmm. so that is a great example of, uh, it's kind of like the ready, uh, fire aim philosophy. Aim. <laughs> just, just do it and then <laughs> learn how to do it as you're doing it. And yeah. there's a lot to be learned in that. And that philosophy has obviously gone with you throughout life because a lot of the things you did, you didn't really know how to do when you started them. But you learned and you became good at them and you practiced them over and over so that you became an expert at them. Like I just looked at the time, Don, and usually my interviews are like 40, 45 minutes. And it's past that. And I think we could talk for another two and a half hours, but I think our listeners would be like, oh, my gosh, this has gone on too long. Yeah, don't so they ever stop? Yeah, let don't me they share, ever stop? Let me share one more thing that I know will be absolutely valuable, and then we'll say goodbye. But um, you said in the, at the beginning of the, the uh, interview here, you said, you know, you keep rereading Thinking Grow Rich, and you go, how did they get that in my book this time? It's never been there before. That happened to me last year. Uh, and there was a particular quote. 
I'd never seen it before. You know, there's a lot of quotable stuff and people use certain ones all the time. This one said, when, if you take personal inventory uh, of your liabilities, you'll notice that your biggest liability, I'm paraphrasing, but your biggest liability is a lack of self-confidence. And um, that jumped off the page at me at one point, And I realized that that is actually what LifeWorks University teaches. It teaches people how to have, we literally have a step-by-step paint-by-numbers system that teaches people how to have all the self-confidence that they need to do all the things that they want to do in life and be and do and have everything that they want. The only thing that seems to me to be in the way for for everybody is a lack of self-confidence. If you think about it, if you had 100% confidence in everything, you'd just go do it. That's what I got from my dad. That's why that jumped off the page. And that's what I'd like to invite everybody to consider. Figure out a way to get the self-confidence that you need and everything else will fall into place. Well, we could go on for a while about that one because out of all of the writings of Napoleon Hill, one thing I memorized and I hadn't read for 20 years until like maybe a few years ago, Napoleon Hill's self-confidence formula. When I was in my 20s, I memorized it. I didn't have to read it every day. I knew it. I could recite it, and I recited it often, almost every day. And that is so true. I lacked it, and I don't lack it now. And it's because I learned the self-confidence formula. So great ending advice there, self-confidence. And that's really, in the end, what you teach people. Uh, find their purpose and have the self-confidence to pursue that purpose with all their might and all their strength until they achieve it. And wow, what a great way to end the show. Thank you so much, Tom, for having me. It's been such a privilege. And remember, people, lifeworksuniversity.com. Go to Amazon. Uh, there's probably more than one Don Cote, but there's probably only one book called Life Works. Remember, it's all one word, L-I-F-E, works. Uh, all together, look that up and make sure you get not just the first book, but all the books that are in there. Uh, Don, you've been a real inspiration to me. It's uh, 20 after 8 my time, and I had more energy than when I started the day. So, Yay. You, dirty, you dirty dog, I may not sleep well tonight. <laughs> I'm fulfilling my purpose as we speak. <laughs> Amen. Thanks so much for being uh, with me today, Don, and sharing with our audience and Everybody, lifeworksuniversity.com. Go there, sign up, and get acquainted with Don. Thanks, Don. Thank you so much, Tom. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email tom at tomtutall.com for details.